This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Today we continue in the Imago Day series, created in the image of God. Today we're looking at male and female. And want you to know that at Woodland Hills Family Church, uh, we put on the full armor of God to stand against the devil's schemes. And today we will be talking about one of those schemes. And Woodland Hills takes our stand between two extremes. And for 20 years, we've always taken our stand between these two extremes. And to paraphrase another pastor, uh, we stand against and never want to move toward chauvinism that produces a man that women cannot endure because of toxic masculinity. We don't want to move toward that, and we don't want to move toward feminism, which produces a man that women cannot enjoy because of their unmanliness. We stand our ground, put on the full armor of God against the devil's schemes as we celebrate the beauty that God created in the differences between male and female. The passion today... I'm telling you, I want you to walk out every man in here going, I am a man created by God in the image of God, and I will live out that manhood as I've been created. We want every woman to leave here going, I am woman, right? Passionate about how God created you and made you in his image. We want you to see the beauty in that. A lot of times when we say male and female, many of you will hear husband and wife. We're not there yet, although we'll talk about it a little bit. In two weeks, we're going to look at the two becoming one. Today, we're celebrating these differences between male and female. And it's from Genesis chapter 1. It's where we've been starting every week. Because whether we're talking about racism, uh, abortion, transgenderism, whatever the discussion... At Woodland Hills Family Church, it starts with this foundational doctrine of the Imago Dei. You're created in the image of God with automatic intrinsic value. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can change your mind on that will change the value that's been placed in you by Almighty God. And we get this from Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image... In the image of God, Imago Dei, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And what I want you to see today, very important, is verse 28. We talked a lot so far about creation, but I want us to see the blessing that comes in verse 28. He created us and he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. What he blesses and what he says to do is impossible. It can't be done apart from verse 27. Rule over the fish in the sea and then the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here's where we begin with part three, male and female today. It is impossible to increase in number and fill the earth apart from the complementary design of male and female. God would not ask us to do something we were not able to do. And I want to make sure we see the word complementary is with an E, not an I. We're not talking about just saying nice things to each other. 
we're looking at the word that means to complete. The complementary design of male and female. And here's what I want all of us leaving here today, all of us clicking off on the live stream today, saying these words that we get in verse 31. Genesis 1:31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. We want you to see men and women, it's very good. These differences are beautiful. We are placed upon this earth as image bearers of Almighty God to reflect His glory upon this earth and to rule with His authority over all creation. And it is very good. And as long as I have breath and until the Lord calls me home or returns to this earth, I am going to proclaim the differences between men and women and celebrate them. And we will never be a church that blurs the line between male and female. We will see it in the Imago Day. And there was everything and there was mourning and this was the sixth day. And what I want you to see as we kind of kick this off today, men and women are equal. Equal value, automatic intrinsic value because both men and women are created in the image of God. But we are different and I love research, and I, I love studying from the Institute of Family Studies. Brad Wilcox, professor at the University of Virginia, does such great research, and all of his colleagues in Ivy League schools all over the country produce great research, and I always dig into it. And this week, I dug into some of their new research, and I just want to show you, Katie's just going to go through these real quick, but some of these charts, I mean, I was like, okay, let me look at the emerging adults, middle-aged adults, enjoyment of various categories of child care tasks by sex and, and household chores. And, and I'm having a ball. Just go through four more of these. I mean, Katie, we're just one right after another. I'm looking. And the only reason I show you all this is because this is what kind of cracks me up about research. You ever looked at research and had a well, duh moment? Like you read something and you're like, well, duh. I can't believe I just studied that for two hours to come to the conclusion we just came to. After reading all of this research, here's their findings. <laughs> Our findings reveal that men and women do not hold identical attitudes about the various tasks involved in managing a home and raising children. <laughs> Those are two hours of my life I'll never get back. I already knew that. I knew that. Let me give you the findings going. And Brad, I love you if you're watching. <laughs> I, I pre- keep researching. Uh, but lead out with this so I know how long I have to look at the charts. Okay, look at this first one. Overall, women preferred having more responsibility for childcare tasks than men did. Okay. This is because women don't trust men to raise children. When we were raising our children and we had Corinne, Amy had this expectation that I would never drop one. It's her expectation. It was unstated, but I thought it was unrealistic. I remember the first time I dropped Corinne, (laughs) Amy wasn't home and I I had her on the bed. So it wasn't from up here. She was down here and I was changing a diaper and, and I'm halfway through it and I needed something and it was just right there. It was, it was, it was within arm's reach. So I, I'm looking down here. (laughs) It's within, have you dropped a baby yet? Oh, you have? You're ruining the illustration. Oh, you haven't. Okay, anyway, just... I went back, and this is, the, this is how fast it went. I went back to get it, and when I came back, she was gone. Not even a second. I'm not even going to give you a second on it. 
And I immediately look over and have you, remember when you get shots for your baby? Uh, oh, let's talk anti-vax. Anyway, so I'm not going to talk about that. But you know how they give the shot and it's like three seconds before the, we were in that three second window with Corinne on the ground. And I'm like, oh, she's screaming. What was my first thought? None of you have what my first thought was. My very first thought, and this is terrible, was, should I tell Amy about this? Is this something I'm going to have to explain? And I know it should have been, so I pick Corinne up. But yes, Amy, at that point, she started giving me instructions. You want to see what the other findings are? I love this. Men enjoyed household tasks that involved physical work with objects, including outdoor labor and home fixes and maintenance, far more than women did. Thank you again for, for, for the conclusion. And as soon as I'm done with this research, I saw a great article by a very credible source, the Babylon Bee, <laughs> that a new record was set this week. Husband completes home improvement project in only 83 trips to the hardware store. <laughs> and so today, as we talk about competency even a little bit, I want you to understand, a person's competency does not determine their value. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. And after I studied all this, the very first comment, this was fantastic. The very first comment after all of this research, this is the first comment that I read from somebody that read the same research I did. Can you guys also figure out whether water is wet or dry? (laughs) Been wondering about that one for a while now. In other words, yes, we see these differences. And I have feminists that come at me all the time online saying, I overblow the differences between men and women. And I don't want to overreact to these differences and make them more than they need to be, but we need to celebrate them. That God made us different. And, and they'll come at me and be like, no, you're making too much big of a deal of it. No, let's, let's learn to celebrate them. And I, I continue with... Timothy Keller, Pastor Keller out of New York, what he says, every culture not based on a triune creator falls into idolatries. And we're created in the image of God, the triune God, the triune creator. If not, you fall into monism, materialism, individualism, collectivism, moralism, antinomianism, objectivism, or subjectivism. And today we want to talk about, want to be very clear and deal with the issue our culture is dealing with. Our kids are dealing with it. Uh, it's in the schools. It's something they need to talk about. And I hope today that we can talk about this in a way that, that honors the image of God in men and women. Those who are struggling with their sexual orientation, those that are struggling with gender dysphoria, those who... Uh, were raised in a home that gender was more fluid and so they're trying to figure out who they are that today Woodland Hills in the midst of all of this would be a place where they can find truth and love not one or the other transgenderism is an issue of our day and our kids are dealing with it in a way that even my generation didn't deal with it my parents generation their parents didn't deal with it But today we see it most in the area of college sports. It's probably what's on the news the most. I heard one pastor this week, Stephen Wedgworth. He's an Anglican pastor. He said, the physiological difference between men and women is most obvious in the world of professional sports. 
and college sports. As the transgender ideology has gained more social acceptance, athletes who are biologically and genetically male have begun competing in women's sporting leagues with predictable results. In at least one instance, the natural disparity was too much for even otherwise sympathetic onlookers. I've been talking to some of the medical doctors in our church who are dealing with this in the medical field. And the medical field and some of the administration at hospitals around the country are now talking about how to deal with transgenderism as as they treat patients. And the reality is, uh, as a college athlete takes testosterone suppressors uh, to be able to compete in female sports, it still doesn't change every other way they're made male. And every other way. And, and when you go in, if you're struggling with gender dysphoria or you're transgendered and you have a medical procedure that you need, you want that doctor operating on you in a way according to your biological sex. But the hospitals are dealing with it too. Colleges are dealing with it with the sports. I heard one cardiologist this week, Dr. Paula Johnson, she said this, every cell has a sex. And what that means is that men and women are different down to the cellular and molecular level. It means that we're different across all of our organs, from our brains to our hearts, our lungs, and our joints. I talked to a colleague this week who shared with me, Ted, even in the textbooks that our kids have in high school for anatomy, you see it's not just muscle mass, but it's the way muscles are connected. They're connected in different ways between male and female. And this friend of mine told me that the male bicep is connected in a way that gives men more torque. And I, well, as soon as I heard that, you know, my comedian brain always kicks in. And, and I was trying to be theological with her as she was explaining all of this to me. But as soon as I heard men were created by God to have more torque, I thought, oh, men were created by God to open jars. That was, the, that was one of our primary purposes here upon this earth. Can Amy open the jar? Yes. Should she open the jar? No. Should she give it to me? There have been plenty of times she's handed me a jar I know darn good and well she could open. But she's like, do it, my man. (laughs) And I grab it, and I open it up. We're different. We're different. Can I present to you a scenario that I've been thinking a lot about this week? I've thought about this for years, but thought about it more this week. And Amy and I, it's 2 a.m., and we're sound asleep. Our kids are sleeping in their rooms. And it is obvious someone has broken into our home. I mean, I I don't have to get up to figure out what's... Someone has broken in and they are running around our house. Let let me tell you what I think needs to happen. I get up. I go take him out. Now, let me explain to you. Amy could go after him. An argument could be made that she may be more successful in taking out the intruder than me. But it's for this reason that we've never arm wrestled. I'm not taking the risk. We'll never know. We'll never know. But you can look at Amy and I and be like, I think she, because I'm married to a strong woman. I want every feminist watching right now to go, this is just a male show. No, I, I am married to a strong woman and I love being married to a strong woman. I think she could take him out. 
I don't think she's seen Liam Neeson and taken as much as I have, but she could take him out. But you will never, ever, ever get me to see as normative a man turning to his wife in the middle of the night and saying, go check that out. Because we may all die in that scenario, but I will be the first one dead. And there are women going, I can do it. I can, I know you can. We're not talking about your competency. Sure you can. But in the soul, I'm talking about the soul of a man. This, we, I don't want to lose this in our culture. This doesn't make me a chauvinist. I want to live out being a protector and, and caring for my wife and for my children. Yes, she can. But should she is the question. This leads us to how we're raising our kids today. There's this new parenting we need to be aware of. It's, again, I know we're in the Ozarks, and I, I'll have friends that may watch this and say, Ted, it's so easy for you to preach that message in Branson, Missouri. Come to California and teach that. Come to New York. Come to Austin, Texas. Come to Chicago. And, and I, I thought about that a lot this week because I, I don't want to preach a message for Branson, Missouri. I want to preach the truth. I want us to declare the truth and stand in between the extremes our culture wants to pull us toward and say, we will stand on the truth of the word of God. I'm open to learning. I'm open to someone challenging and saying, have you thought about... Listen, we at this church stand against all forms of abuse towards women. All. We as a church are called to protect women. We will never have a theology that leads to the abuse of women. We will, we, will call, we will be called out on that. We're not a church that's, that's against questions and that's against challenges. But this gender-open parenting style, it's parents today, and you're going to see more and more of it. I believe it's an attack on the Imago Dei. This idea that not only do parents not tell their children what their gender is, they try to hide the biological sex from family and friends until this child can make the decision on their own whether they will identify male or female. One parent I read this week put it this way, for us, it means raising our kids with gender-neutral pronouns, they, them, their, rather than assigning he, she, him, her from birth based on their anatomy. Hendrick Center for Christian Leadership says, while our biological sex traits, anatomy and physiology, are determined at birth, our sense of what it means to be male and female is taught to us in culture. What it means to be masculine or feminine develops through our family, culture, and experiences. And mom and dad, you were placed in that child's life to teach, instruct, and guide, lead them. Lead them well. As, as, as we're a church that doesn't want to stand between chauvinism or feminism, may your home not, not, not move toward one or the other. May your, your home as this church is doing all those watching stand between the two and say, we will not be pulled either way. We will not, we will not be pulled toward a culture or toward a theology that has been rooted in tradition, that leads men to be toxic in their masculinity. We don't want that. We want heroic masculinity. We don't want toxic masculinity. And we won't move toward feminism that creates men that are just passive and and unmanly and no desire for a woman to have or to enjoy. And this is why we say at our church, 
mom and dad teaching your children to embrace their biological sex and marry the opposite sex, we'll look at this in two weeks, honors the image of God in men, women, and marriage. For those that are struggling with gender dysphoria, I just want you to hear, I know you're mad, some of you are watching, and I'll get the, and, and we're okay with that. I, I don't, I, I, I want to stand not with truth or love, love or truth. We want truth and love. Met with plenty in counseling who struggle with gender dysphoria. And they have struggled for years with their identity. I want to start by reminding you, your identity, what you determine you're going to be, does nothing to your value. Your value comes because you're created in the image of God. You're an image bearer of Almighty God. You can't get any more value. Changing your gender or how you identify won't add to your value. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus because Jesus affirms these created differences between male and female and oneness in marriage. We're going to talk more about the oneness in marriage in two weeks. But Jesus affirms it in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is approached with the question, can you divorce for any and every reason? And that day there were two schools of thoughts, one led by the rabbi Hillel and the other by rabbi Shammai. And Hillel was the most lenient of the groups at that time. Uh, You could divorce for any and every reason. Most scholars believe that's the group that's really bringing this question to Jesus. Can you divorce for any and every reason? But then Shammai, those who followed Shammai, heard that no, it's far more stringent, that you can only divorce for marital unfaithfulness. So Jesus is being brought schools of thought, which we would call tradition. And remember, at this church, tradition does not drive the bus. Scripture drives the bus. And when Jesus addresses it, Scripture drives the bus of the conversation. Jesus responds immediately to that question in Matthew 19, verse 4, with, haven't you read? And he is going to go back to the section that we are studying in this series of Mago Day. He goes right back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, you're talking about tradition right now to me. You're talking about what man has decided. Jesus said, let's go back to the beginning where the creator, he goes back to the foundations of the earth. And he says, let's talk about gender. Let's talk about marriage from the foundations of the earth, not what's going on right now. Let's define it by the creator, not this group or that group. He says, the creator made them male and female, this complementary relationship, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. We'll look at that in two weeks. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Watch this. The Imago Dei did a wedding last week, and we end after, you know, you may kiss the bride, comes right after what God has joined together, let no man separate. Meaning this, we are gathered before God and gathered witnesses. He says, one flesh, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. My friends, male, female, those struggling with gender identity, here's what we know. Both men and women need Jesus. Both. Absolutely both. And remember, we looked at this in the first week. 
Through creation, you bear the image of God, but it is through salvation that you become a child of God. Every single person in here right now and every single person watching right now is created in the image of God, has automatic intrinsic value. No matter how you identify, because you don't get to choose the value that you have. It's been given to you by Almighty God because you're created in his image. But it is through faith alone and Christ alone that you become a child of God. That you place faith in Jesus, that you repent of your sins. And that you confess he is Lord and believe in your heart that he has been raised from the dead. In Galatians, Paul says it to them this way, the, the believers in Galatia. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Through faith in Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ, into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. You are in Jesus. And what that now means, look what he says. Adam looked at this last week. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. And I love it. Look at very next. Neither slave nor free. Not, nor is there male and female. And again, Paul's not saying here, guess what? When we become Christians, we lose all of that. No, he's not saying that. He's saying when it, once you become a follower of Jesus, you are now an image bearer, created as a man, created as a woman. But you're, ah, I love this, your identity is in Jesus. Your identity is in Christ. And this is why I know I am a white evangelical male. I know I am a white, heterosexual, evangelical male. But I don't walk into parties and introduce my wife and make sure everybody knows I'm heterosexual. I don't lead out with that. I lead out with Christ. I want people to see me as a follower of Jesus, men and women, that we would know our need for Christ and lean in to that. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So I love Peter's words. Peter says it very clearly in chapter 3 and verse 7. He talks about the differences, but he's talking to the husband. I just want to share with the men as we lead out into uh, the message in two weeks. Next week on Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, we'll be looking at abortion. We have a very special element planned. Uh, We have asked Travis Bronner, our medical doctor on the teaching team, to bring that message. Um, can we share with them what's going on or do you want to hold that? Don't share with them. Okay. Can't share with you. I'm sorry. I wanted to. Dad over there ruined the whole thing. But then the week after that will be the two becoming one. And I, I go back to First Peter 3, 7 often that as the spiritual leader in our home, I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility in how I lead my wife and my family. We've talked about protecting, and it is not a popular thing to stand up in pulpits anymore and say, men, lead your homes well. And I'm sad by that, and I hope to address that more in two weeks. But I just, as I read the Bible, I don't understand how anybody can go to one extreme or the other and why they don't stay rooted and planted in God's word and on the foundational doctrine of the Imago Dei, because I am to care for my wife. And to love my wife. He, he uses this, and to me, this is such a beautiful text. Show her honor, Ted. We looked at this very first week. Esteem her as highly valuable, as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Other translation says, look to her, view her as a co-heir in Christ. And by being co-heirs, it doesn't mean I lose my maleness or masculinity. It doesn't mean she loses her femaleness or her femininity. It doesn't mean that. 
that we're to honor one another as co-heirs in Christ. I, I think just as we want to stand between extremes and stand on the truth of the word of God, this church never wants to go to one or the other of these. We don't want to just move toward compassion on this area. I see plenty of churches moving toward compassion with no courage. I see other churches moving toward courage with no compassion. I hope you see today and hear in my words, it's been my, whole, it's been my struggle all week to make sure there is compassion and courage throughout this entire message, that we don't lose it. Someone came to me and said, did you hear John Lindell at James River preached on this exact same topic last Sunday? And I didn't listen to the message. I plan on listening to it tomorrow, but I didn't listen to it. So you couldn't say, hey, you got your message from John Lindell. I haven't heard a word that he said. But I plan on listening to it, but I already know what John said, and I already know the tone that he did it in. And I guarantee you it was with compassion and courage. And I'm grateful for churches that are standing in the gap and saying, you know what, we're not going to drift. We're not going to drift from truth on this. We're going to be compassionate and invite every single person from the LGBTQ community to come to Woodland Hills Family Church where they can hear the word of God and be loved and cared for by the people in this church. And when I know when you stand on truth, They'll say, you can't. You either accept all of me and what I believe. No, we can and we will. I think these two extremes, I had a friend this week who knew I was preparing for this. Uh, I'll tell you, well, uh, a friend. Isn't it something today we have to... (sighs) A friend in marriage and family ministry said, saw this in my Bible reading today about the godly giving up in the face of corruption with the assumption that speaking truth won't work. And she said in Amos 5.13, Ted, I read, so those who are smart keep their mouths shut, for it is an evil time. And, and so we won't. We won't. But we also want the compassion. Jesus, in Matthew 9.35-38, he went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, that this would be our heart, Woodland Hills, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And Woodland Hills, I want to invite you, church family, to to join me in the fields of all of these conversations we had last week. I know it ruffled the feathers of many last week. And I'm just going to ask that the Lord continue to work on all of us in all of these issues. But I ask you to join me in the fields with compassion and courage. Would you pray with me? Father, we do not want to be pulled in any direction this culture wants to pull us toward chauvinism or feminism. We don't want to go, we want to stand on the truth. And yes, we can pick words apart and things not said the exact right way, but that, that we worship today in spirit and truth, that the truth would go out in a way that is courageous and compassionate. Give us wisdom as a church family on how to lead well in this. I pray for church family. I pray for parents right now. I pray for parents to have courage on this and not back down 
to allow a six or a seven-year-old to make decisions uh, that God has called the parent to lead in. I pray for this church, for wisdom and discernment with all of the, the issues of our day, that we would not drift ever away from your word, that we would stand true on them. I pray for the one watching right now that has struggled with their gender and their identity their entire lives, that today they would see their need for Jesus every bit as I see my need for Jesus. We all need Christ. And that today we call upon you, Lord and Savior. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray it.